Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Foothills, how we doing? Good, good. Hey, at all of our campuses right now, can we say thank you to our worship team that just led us so well fix our thoughts on Jesus? And speaking of campuses, Seneca, can we welcome our Pendleton campus right now? So glad y'all are joining us today. We're continuing a series that we're in called The Forgotten Commandments. We're looking at the 10 commandments. We've been doing this the last couple of weeks. In fact, last week we got to hear from Pastor Bramfis. If you're grateful for the word he gave, can you show some appreciation? That was awesome. That was awesome. But today we're going to look at what I believe is probably the most misunderstood commandment. Like Jesus gave 10 commandments. These are the top 10 lists that he gave. And I think this is probably the most misunderstood commandment that he gave. And so let's just jump right in probably to the version that you maybe got exposed to this commandment on. The New King James Version. Exodus chapter 20 verse 7 says this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And it's possible that if you grew up here in the South, you actually got the Bible Belt translation of this verse, which let me tell you how that goes. Here's what this verse means if you grew up in the Bible Belt. When you stub your toe or you get angry or you get surprised or you get shocked and you go to say something, you better keep God's name out of what you're about to say. Like if you would go to grab a cuss word in this moment, do not grab one of the names of God for that exact moment. And in fact, you may have even had a higher level of spirituality than that. I've got a brother that was always better at following the rules than me. And I felt like as we, once we finally grew up, maybe that would be over. Now he's got kids. His kids are better at following rules than my kids. So I was at his house over, over Christmas and I don't, even, I don't even remember what happened. I just remember Katie uh, she got shocked at one moment. She goes, oh my gosh. And my, my son, or my, my brother's son, Banner, who's three years old, when she said, oh my gosh, his jaw just dropped. And, and he, he's got this distinct voice. He goes, Auntie Katie, Auntie Katie, we don't say that. We don't say that. And, and Katie's like, what, what do we not say, Banner? What do we not say? He goes, we don't say, oh my. He wouldn't even say it. We don't even say that. Maybe, maybe that's how you heard it, is not only don't bring God's name into it, but if it resembles God's name, gosh is too close to God, and Jesus is too close to Jesus. Do not, do not grab God's name in this context. This is how most of us have interpreted this commandment. And then we've added layers that help us to keep this commandment, which is something that I think we all do sometimes as humans. Like, doesn't that sound like something? We make rules that are intended to help us keep other rules. Like we make rules that keep us from breaking other rules. And there's some wisdom in that. It's called boundaries. It's good. You wanna stay as far away from breaking rules as possible. But there's also danger when we do this. When we start creating layers to our rules and rules that help us keep rules, what happens is we start to forget what the rule ever was about. We start to forget why the rule was there in the first place and it becomes about the rule rather than why it exists. 
And so today I wanna kind of take a deeper dive at this commandment together to say, okay, in God's top 10 list where he talks about murder and adultery and stealing, is there really a commandment that's simply about don't cuss? Is that really what this commandment is encompassing? Let's look at the NLT version of this verse. It says this, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Sometimes it's good to grab different translations to get a wider scope, but sometimes it's even better to go to the original language and try to understand what the author was originally saying. And if you were to pull out the original language, when it says to not take the Lord's name in vain, that word take is a Hebrew word, nasah. Now, nasah means to lift up, but also to carry or to bring along with you. So when God was giving this commandment to Israel, he was saying, hey, when you lift up my name, when you take my name with you, when you carry it with you, don't do so in a way that's in vain. And if you dig into the original language of vain, you would find that vain means in a worthless manner, but also in a false manner. So when you carry the name of God with you, when you lift up the name of God, don't do so in a way that diminishes his worth. So hear me, hear, what I'm, hear, hear me, and don't hear what I was not saying by my illustration this morning. When we use God's name as a cuss word, we are absolutely diminishing the worth of his name. We should not be flippant or irreverent with the name of our holy God. That is absolutely true. We should not be flippant or irreverent. But if that's all that we've understood this commandment to be, we might be missing the wider scope of what God was giving this rule for, for his people. See, if you remember back to week one, we, we established that the rules God gave were not a way for us to earn his acceptance or a relationship with him. God started a relationship with his people, Israel, by rescuing them before he ever gave them a rule. He rescued them before he ever gave them a rule. And so within this, God then gave this list, his top 10 to say, here's how you will engage in this relationship. Here's how you can love me and love others. And Israel was God's set apart holy nation. They were his chosen nation to show who he was to the rest of the world. So when he gave them this list of rules, he said, when you, when you walk in this way, when you love me in this way, when you love others in this way, you're gonna stand out in this world. Like these are going to cause your love for me and others to stand out so that people will see me. What God was saying to the nation of Israel in this commandment is, I am trusting you to carry my name with you. I'm trusting you to carry my name, not just in your speech, but in your conduct and in your life. And when you carry my name, you're the representation that I'm trusting for the world to find out who I am. What an incredible privilege for Israel. Yet what a great responsibility. And today, that responsibility is passed on to Christ's followers. If you are a Christian, this commandment, it's about the privilege that you and I have to carry God's name in a way that doesn't diminish his worth, but also that, that doesn't create a false reality of who he is, that's also true to who he is. And so before we dig in today, I wanna ask you a question. If you're a Christian, you're, you're in Pendleton, you're here in the room, if you're watching online, I wanna ask you a question for you to think about for a moment. I want you to think about this for a moment. Am I a good representation of God to others? 
So just sit with that question for a moment. Am I a good representation of God to others? And when I ask questions like this, they're kind of a deep dive. I like to put myself in the different scenarios in my life so that I'm not compartmentalizing that. So you might, you might ask it this way. Am I a good representation of God to my church? Or am I a good representation of God to my workplace or to my school? Am I a good representation of God to my friends? Am I a good representation of God to my family, to my kids, to my parents, to my siblings, to my spouse? Am I a good representation of God? Or when I'm carrying God's name, because I'm a Christian, (laughs) am I carrying it in a way that is diminishing his worth or telling a false story of his love? Because honestly, there's, there's probably some of you here today and in Pendleton that you're really not sure how you feel about God. And part of the reason that you're unsure how you feel about God is because of Christians who've misrepresented him in your life. You're unsure because you've seen how people who put their faith in this God act and it doesn't line up with what you thought you heard about God. And I first off just wanna say sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry that as people, we've kind of fallen short in this way, but I wanna invite you to do something today. Something I've, I've said before, we are tempted as people to place the nature of humans onto the character of God. And when we do that, we'll miss God. Don't, don't place the nature of humans onto the character of God. Instead, what I would invite you to do is I would invite you to realize today that the nature of humans is fallible and God is infallible, yet God is merciful enough to overlook our offense if we'll place our trust in him and he will save us and he will forgive us of that offense. I'm looking at brothers and sisters in this room who know what it's like to have a God who showed us mercy even though we sinned against him. If you're grateful for that God, would you, would you shout with praise? Yes. So if you've had a misrepresentation of God, my prayer as you're listening today is that as we open his word, his word is infallible. This is truth about who he is. And where it's been misrepresented to you, I I hope that today you hear truth about who God is and especially about how he feels about you. Church, we're gonna look at two ways that we may be taking the Lord's name in vain, intentionally or unintentionally, that are beyond just the idea of cussing. So you with me? Number one, number one, God's name is not a license for your own gain. Let me say that again. God's name is not a license for your own gain. God's name is not a license for you to go and get your own way. Have you ever had anybody in your life or been around somebody who likes to name drop when they know somebody important? Like if they know somebody who, who's in a, in a position that's of importance or a celebrity especially, they like to make sure you know about it because it just kind of notches up their credibility just a little bit, kind of notches up how they are relative to you. I grew up in Nashville, so this would happen like all the time. Nashville likes to pride itself as being this big, small town. And so you're gonna see musicians or artists at the coffee shop or authors or actors 
They're gonna go to church where you go to church. Their kids are gonna go to school where your kids go to school. And it wouldn't matter if you were really friends with them or not. If you met them, you're gonna act like you're their bestie. And this would happen all the time. Like in conversations, you would hear somebody talk about running into someone and there's always gotta be the name dropper in your group. They'd be like, dude, dude, I saw Taylor Swift at the mall yesterday. She was there. And the name dropper is always super dramatic. They're like, Taylor Swift. Oh, oh, sorry. I forget normal people call her by her whole name. <laughs> I, Taylor, I forget that's her last name. She's Taylor to me. <laughs> that's right. She's always just been Taylor to me. Yeah, duh, Taylor Swift, duh. Yeah, I was texting. You should have told her you knew me. She would have taken a picture with you. That would have been awesome. I love Taylor. Yeah, the celebrity stuff, it's a lot of pressure on her, you know? It's like, come on. Or, or they have nicknames that you're like, does that really exist? Are you just making that up to sound cool? Like maybe, maybe that happens around here. Maybe, maybe you're like, hey, I, I saw Dabo out on Lake Kiwi. And they're like, Dabby Dabs? Dab you saw Dabby Dabs? I love Dabby Dabs. Yeah, we eat at Lighthouse all the time. It's awesome. It's awesome. These people drive me nuts. But I will say this. When you're able to drop a name, it does. It kind of increases the credibility a little bit. Here's my favorite type of name dropping. My favorite type of name dropping was when I was a kid and my mom gave me something to go tell my older brothers. So I had three older brothers, okay? And that came with a lot of trauma. I had three older brothers. And when mom gave me something to go tell them, I now had not only credibility from mom, I had authority and it felt good. And so like if they're playing in the neighborhood and my mom's like, hey, Kevin, I want you to go get your older brothers and tell them it's time to come home and eat. I'd be like, you want me to do that? Yeah, I'd love to do that. I would absolutely love to do that. And, and in the journey, I'm already thinking about, I'm not gonna tell them mom told me. I'm gonna use this power to, to do a little bit of a power move. So I show up and I wouldn't start by, hey, mom said, I would start by saying, hey, Justin, stop playing. It's time to go home. <laughs> like, excuse me? Like his friends are there, excuse me? What'd you say? And, and I would always hope that he would, he would ask this question because it would always tee me up. When he would say, says who? I'd be like, oh yes. Oh, I was hoping in front of your friends right now that you would say, says who? Because I've got it right here in my back pocket. Says mom, let's go. His friends always go, oh, who told you? Go home. When I had mom's name stamped on it, like it was a different level. It wasn't just credibility, it was authority and power. How many of you know that there's power and authority when you have the name of Jesus? Come on, church. How many of you know that there's power? We've just sang about it. We've sang about it in multiple of these songs that Jesus has power over anxiety and over depression, over sin and over death. The things that this world, the evil that's trying to take you down, the evil that's trying to take your family members out, the evil that you just can't seem to overcome. Jesus already overcame it and there's power in his name. There's power in the name of Jesus. There is power. It is an up in your credibility. It is an up in your authority. It is an up in your power. But listen, God cares very much about the fact that we use that power to point people to him and his love and that we don't abuse that power for us to accomplish something that we want. That we don't abuse that power to put his stamp of authority on something he wants nothing to do with. And in fact, this actually happened in John chapter two when Jesus was here. People in positions of authority 
in the church, religious leaders were using the stamp of authority they had with God's house to take advantage of disadvantaged people. If you got your Bibles, we're gonna go to John 2, verse 13 and 14. It says, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at the tables exchanging corn money. Now, just a quick scene. What was, what was happening here is everyone would come at this time of the year to celebrate Passover, which was to commemorate that God had rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. This was something they did every year. And they would offer sacrifices to atone for their sin. And in fact, this commemoration, this, this Passover commemoration to remember God's rescue, this is remembering a time back, which is right around the time that the Ten Commandments were given. It was after God rescued his people that he then gave them this list of Ten Commandments to follow. And so people would travel from all over, from far distances to Jerusalem, to the city, to commemorate and celebrate. And what would happen is something that probably started out of good intentions. It was possible that you couldn't bring the animal that you needed for the sacrifice for that amount of travel, or that maybe it got blemished and it no longer met the standards that it needed to meet. And so they created a system where, hey, we're, we're gonna sell some animals for sacrifice so that people could have an option. Like if they've traveled all this way, they could have an animal. And then there was also money changers there because you're coming from different towns where there's different currencies. And so they need the ability to change out money and, and make it well. And again, this is something that might've even started in good intentions, but humans began to corrupt it. <laughs> and corruption started to take place in a couple of ways. First off, what would happen is the temple would take the authority to approve or disapprove of a sacrifice. And so you had these religious leaders that you would bring the animal to and they would disapprove of something that God himself would approve of. Why? Because you were at a disadvantage if they did that. Because then you'd say, well, I, I traveled all this, I don't, have, I don't have another animal that I can sacrifice, what am I gonna do? And they're like, well, actually, just right over here for 10 small monthly payments of $25 a month, We've got the animal of your choice, exactly what you need, exactly set up. And they were, they were taking advantage of this situation. And then the money changers were taking advantage of the situation. They were hiking their rates up to a ridiculous amount because they knew you couldn't change out your money anywhere else. So this is like when you go to a Clemson football game and you want a hot dog and a Coke and you find out it's 42 bucks. <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it, right? You have, to, you have to do it. That's at a football game. That makes sense. This was happening in God's house by people in positions of authority. They were taking advantage of disadvantaged people. They were abusing their positions of power and they were doing it in his name. And this is a really interesting story where we see how Jesus feels about this. Let's keep reading. In verse 15, it says that Jesus made a whip from some ropes. Now, you, maybe you've heard this story before where Jesus was angry and he made this whip. Maybe you just needed to, to pause for a moment and, and see the fact that Jesus made the whip. He didn't go find a whip. This wasn't a moment of rage or a, oops, how did I accidentally react this way? This was Jesus 
thinking through. There was time spent to make the whip. He was not okay with what was happening. This is a picture of righteous anger. This is not a moment of rage. This is, this is thought through. He made a whip from some ropes. He chased them out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers, coins over the floor. He turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures, passion for God's house will consume me. We see in Matthew's account of this story, he said to them, Jesus, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus showed up to find these advantaged people taking advantage of disadvantaged people for their own benefit and attaching his father's name to what was going on. And Jesus is showing us an example here that taking his name in vain is much bigger than a cuss word. It's much greater than that. It's when we put God's stamp of approval on something that God would have nothing to do with. When we manipulate God's name so that we can get what we want. Now you're like, okay, that's cool. I'm not in a position of authority where that could happen. Here's some of the ways that you might do this in your life where you might try to drop God's name in order to get an edge. Here, here's just an example. And it's also be a word of advice. If you're a single guy and you find someone that you think is attractive, another, another lady you think is attractive, don't walk up to her and say, God told me that we're supposed to get married. <laughs> that's a bad idea. And in fact, I feel like God may be telling me to tell the ladies something right now. If that ever happens, run! <laughs> run! God didn't say that. And listen, listen. Even if God did say that, let him, let him do the talking. Let him confirm that over time. Because here's what I've learned in following Jesus throughout my life. There's a lot of moments where I wonder, God, did you say? I, I feel like you're telling me but what I've learned is that a lot of times, because again, I'm human, I'm fallible. A lot of times, it's not God. It's my emotions or it's my feelings or it's that burrito that I just had for lunch talking to me. And I can mix all of that up. And so what's, what's wise is to take a step back and say, I feel like God may be saying this, but I'm not gonna put the weight on him when I'm not sure. God will confirm his word over time. God will confirm what he tells you through his word. In fact, what God says will never clash with truth in his word. That means that like if you're married and you're in a situation where you feel like God's telling you to divorce your spouse and there's no biblical grounds for you to do that, God's not telling you that. He won't tell you something that is against what's in his word. His word will confirm his voice and it's important that we take the whole scope of the word and that we don't just take a verse out of context to prove what we think God is saying. We've gotta be careful with God's word. We've gotta be careful with putting his name and attaching it to things in our life. And in fact, there's a wise proverb that we hear where Solomon was careful about this. 
Proverbs 30, 8 and 9 said, give, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. I don't want to be in any type of position where I might dishonor your name. I want to be a good representation of you, God. There should be a pause and a caution. Like, like we've talked about, we shouldn't be flippant with throwing God's name into our language. We shouldn't be flippant with throwing God's name onto our plans or our actions as a license or a stamp of approval. It is possible for you to add the name of God in a situation and it increases your credibility. But we've also seen that it's possible that in doing so for someone else, you can hurt God's credibility. And what we actually see from Jesus is we see a humility that flips that script, that script. When Jesus would attach God's name to his ministry, when he would attach himself in connection with the Father, you know what it did? It didn't increase Jesus' credibility, it hurt his credibility. In fact, that's what led to his crucifixion. He was willing to lay his credibility down because he knew that his purpose was to give all credit and glory to the Father. And through laying his credibility down and attaching God's name to God's will, when Jesus prayed, he said, not my will, but your will be done. He laid himself, his credibility down so that through the resurrection, God could get credibility and glory through the process. If we wanna go out in the power of the name of Jesus, we've gotta be willing to lay our credibility down and focus on giving him the credit and the glory. God's name is not a license for us to go manipulate things to get our own way. If we're doing that, we're taking his name in vain. The second way we might be taking his name in vain, God's grace is not an excuse to continue sinning. God's grace is not an excuse to continue sinning. We established week one that the Ten Commandments were not a list, it was made for you to be able to earn God's love and acceptance. But instead, it, it, it was a map to his love and it really pointed out our capability of sinning, which really pointed out our need for a savior. And through Jesus, we've been rescued of what we can't complete on our own with the 10 commandments. And so this top 10 list that Jesus gives, this, we said at week one, this is an appropriate response to a merciful God that we would say, okay, I'm gonna trust your love. I'm gonna walk in the way of Jesus because I'm gonna worship you, God. I'm gonna trust that your ways are better than my ways. And this is how I'm gonna worship you because I didn't deserve your mercy. I didn't deserve your grace. I wanna look at this detail, the second half of this verse, because we see the seriousness. Again, God's already rescued. God's already rescued Israel when he gives the 10 commandments. This was not how they would earn his love, but this is a seriousness of how the relationship would be at this point. Look at this. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. That seems kind of harsh. <laughs> that seems kind of hard. I, I thought this was a loving God, a merciful God. Like, isn't God a God of love? Why would, why would, it, why would it be that harsh? where I may even be accidentally misusing his name. Let me tell you something. It's because of God's love that he issues this warning. 
It's because of how much he loves you and loves the people in this world that haven't opened their eyes to see him yet. It's because of his love that he issues that warning because you and I, especially in this day and age, we have seen so clearly the danger of people misrepresenting God to the world. We've seen the danger of it in our own lives from a parent who misrepresented God in our life, from a teacher who misrepresented God in our life, from a boss who misrepresented God in our life or a pastor who misrepresented God in our life. When it happens, there's so much damage done. This is important to God. That's why he issues this warning. And one of the ways that we misrepresent him is when we treat what Jesus did for us and we treat God's mercy as a loophole for us to have no change. And Paul warned about this in Romans 6. He said this, well then, should, you, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? God's grace was not intended to be a loophole for you to do whatever you want and continue in the path of sin. God's grace is not a means for you to sin. Now, God's grace covered your sins past, present, and future, but his grace and forgiveness is offered for those, the Bible tells us, who repent. And it doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect. Repentance doesn't mean perfect, you're human. But it means I can't keep going that way and follow Jesus because he's that way. So I'm gonna turn away I'm gonna turn away from my sin. And there's times I trip and I fall and and Jesus, I need your help because I can't do this on my own, but I can't go back there. I can't turn my affection and my heart back that way. And I'm not gonna say, oh, God will save me. I'll just do whatever I want. I'll just do whatever I want. This isn't a loophole to mercy. God's grace and his forgiveness is extended to those who turn and follow him. To those who turn And follow him. So really, I really feel like there's there's probably a few different camps today as as we're having this conversation. I believe that there's some listening or in Pendleton or here in the room, some of you, this is is the camp you're in. You have you've kind of been flippant with the name of God and with the grace of God in your life to just continue doing exactly whatever you want to do. Like there's been no marked change. You can't look at your life and say, I started following Jesus and now I'm, I'm headed a different direction. My life is, is different. Instead, you've been kind of using Christian as a tag to make you feel better about the life you want and the benefits that you want and the direction that you want. And if that's you, I, I, just, wanna, I just wanna encourage you. Like God was serious about this morning. You're playing games with a holy God. You're playing games with a holy and righteous God. And I wanna encourage you that it's not gonna be the steps you take or the amount of steps you take to earn his acceptance, but it's gonna be surrendering and receiving his acceptance where he can start to work for a marked change in your life. He wants you to have a marked change in your life. He didn't rescue you so you could be stuck in the chains. He rescued you so that you could be free. And if you have no intention of turning around from them, just just stop using God's name with you. Just, Just lose the label. Just get real and honest with yourself and stop playing games with him. Say, that's it. I'm not really a follower. Okay, okay, I'm gonna gonna disattach. But I believe there's others that maybe you've looked at this commandment and you've really just interpreted it as what we say. 
and you've not really looked at our actions or our lifestyle around it. And maybe you've been blind to the ways that you're taking his name in vain. There's all kinds of forgiveness for our mistakes that are unintentional. I wanna encourage you just to ask God to open your eyes to areas where you're misrepresenting him. Areas where you're misrepresenting his love and his grace and your circle of influence and your family. Ask him to open your eyes. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him for help as you continue down that direction. And then I believe there are others that need to hear about this warning from Jesus because I, I think there's gonna be a group of people that use God's name, especially that use Jesus' name on the day of judgment as a kind of get out of hell free card. <laughs> Maybe that's how you've interpreted this thing. The Bible tells us that there'll be a day that you and I stand before God solo, you and I, like you and God. And you're gonna give an account for your life. You're gonna look at it. And if you're like me, which you are, the Bible tells me you are, you've got a long laundry list of sin. <laughs> you've got quite a laundry list of mistakes that, that are sin that have, that have separated you from a holy God. You've sinned against God. And there's an offense there. And God's gonna ask us, he's gonna say, how do you plan to pay for all of this sin, all of this debt that's created in our relationship because of this sin. And there'll be people on that day who go to what they heard in church and say, ah, it was Jesus, yeah, I called on his name. I sang, I sang that song, there's power in the name of Jesus. I want Jesus, Jesus is gonna save me. I'm not going to hell, I'm in. You know what Jesus says about this? Matthew 7, 21 through 23, it says, not everyone who calls out to me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And this isn't, you gotta take the whole context of scripture here. This isn't God saying that you didn't keep enough laws to get in. What he's saying is he didn't know you. You didn't call on him for real. You didn't turn from your life to have a relationship with him. A few chapters later in Matthew 10, he says it like this. Everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my father in heaven. We can't just pick up the name of Jesus on judgment day if we haven't carried his name here on earth. If we haven't truly called on his name. And I believe that there are many people who are curious about God. Maybe you've stayed in church because you're curious about a relationship with God. I believe that there are people who have been convicted I believe you've been convicted about the sin in your life. You're aware that your sin has separated you from a holy God. And I believe there are people who are even convinced that Jesus is Lord, that he is who he says he is. But I believe that there are a lot of people who stop right there and didn't step into the conversion that salvation brings by saying, I'm going to repent. Like, I'm not just curious. I'm not just convicted. I'm not just, con I'm not just convinced, but I am, I am changed. I'm done. I'm done with what's back there. Jesus, I want to give you my whole life. I surrender it all to you. 
Jesus, I need you for salvation. And if that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity. You may have felt like you gave your life to Jesus at some point. My hope is that today would be the day that you call on Jesus as your Lord in a way that is undeniable, in a way that says, I will not deny you here on earth or before men. Jesus, I need you now. Not as a Hail Mary then and there, but I need you now. And hear me, church, I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm just trying to tell you the truth because you're gonna have to stand before him one day. I don't, I don't want you to not hear the truth. And that tug on your heart, it may be the Holy Spirit. It very well could be the Holy Spirit. This is his word that we're talking about. So I'm gonna ask, it's every, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here and today you wanna give your life to Jesus, I'm gonna ask you to do something bold at all of our campuses, Pendleton as well. I'm gonna ask that you do something bold. I'm gonna ask that you stand to your feet right where you're at. That you stand to your feet. We're not, we're not going around and evaluating everybody, but it's okay if people around you feel you stand up. Let me tell you something. You standing up for your faith right now is you saying, I'm not gonna deny you Jesus in front of others. I don't care who sees it or who knows it. And by you standing up, you're lifting faith of others around you. That right now in Pendleton, if that's you, if you feel Jesus talking, you wanna follow Jesus today, I'm gonna ask that you stand to your feet right now, right where you are, right where you are. And you could pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I need you. I wanna follow you. I am a sinner. I am sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. I trust that you lived a perfect life and that you took my punishment on the cross. I believe that God raised you from the dead and so I'm calling on you as my Lord today and I commit to follow you from this moment forward. I'm not gonna be perfect. I'm not gonna be perfect, but I'm not going back. I'm fixing my eyes on you, Jesus, and following you. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. God, I pray for my other brothers and sisters that are here in this room right now. For those of us that are taking your name in vain, intentionally or even unintentionally, God, would you open our eyes? Would you move our hearts to repentance, God? We wanna be an accurate representation of your love to our circles of influence. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you rescued us despite our inability to follow your rules. But help us have a desire to follow you. It's in the name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.